Hey there, and welcome to episode 26 of the Beat the Stats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is podcast producer for Sirius XM Radio, Christopher Tyler. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, mate. Long time no speak. It has been a while, and for those who don't know, Chris is currently in Australia. I believe, is it 11.30 p.m. at your time? 11.31 p.m., yeah. So relatively late, but uh, never too late for you, mate. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. And just talking to you before we recorded, I was just saying that it's pretty wild just through technology that we can do a podcast when I'm in Somerville, Massachusetts, and you're in Australia. Where are you right now in Australia? I'm in Melbourne. So I'm in uh, the northeast suburbs of Melbourne, about 10 minutes outside of the city at, uh, at mum and dad's house. But you're right, man. Technology these days is fantastic. I don't think I'd be able to, obviously, I've been living in, in the States for the last two and a half years. I've only been back in Australia for the last month or so. But I don't think I would have been able to last two and a half years in the States without this sort of technology where I can just call mum and dad for free every day. I don't know how people did it 10, 15 years ago if you could only limit international calls to you know a couple of minutes because it was so expensive. But now with WhatsApp and Facebook and all these different apps, I can call whoever I want back at home for as long as I want. It's awesome. Yeah, and not to get too off the rails, but even just having no cell phones at all when people were kids back in the day, I don't know how they stayed in touch with their parents at all. I have no idea, mate, but uh, I'm very I'm very happy it is what it is now, for sure. So you grew up in Melbourne, Australia? Yeah, I grew up in a place called Greensboro, which is probably about 20 minutes from where I am right now. Mum and Dad moved house uh, earlier this year or last year, I can't remember. Uh, last year it was. Um, so pretty much back in my hometown and um, yeah, came to came to the States in 2017, been doing bits and pieces since then and actually coming back to the States in a couple of weeks time. Yeah, so I did learn before we started recording the podcast that you got a podcast producer job. You were an associate producer at Mad Dog Radio. So congrats on the podcast producing job. What was that whole process like transitioning from an associate producer to getting ultimately this job? It's a long process, mate. Long, long process. So we <laughs> there on a, on a student visa in the States for a couple of years uh, at, uh, at Hunter College in Manhattan. And I was just doing a whole bunch of internships and, and part-time jobs. And one of the part-time jobs was the associate producer position at Mad Dog. And when I was over there, I knew that I was going to finish studying uh, in May. And so I was looking for full-time opportunities. And Luckily enough for me, this full-time job opportunity for the podcast producer position at SiriusXM opened up and I applied and <laughs> four months later, here we are. So like I said, it's been an incredibly long process, but I just can't wait to, to get back over and actually get started and, and be back at, uh, at, a, at a proper hour watching Sunday football because waking up at 3 a.m. every Monday morning to, <laughs> to watch all the game isn't particularly ideal. I do it, Robbie. But it's not ideal. <laughs> you have to respect the dedication and the passion. 3 a.m., what is the mind like watching football at 3 a.m.? Look, it's, it's not that good, to be honest with you, but <laughs> I make sure to, to, to go to bed early on the Sunday night. I normally only get about five hours of sleep, then watch those three games back to back to back because I've got my fantasy team, Robbie, of course. So I need to follow it live. I can't watch it delayed. When you've got your fantasy team, you've got to <laughs> So I watched the three games back to back to back on a uh, – we've just got like a streaming service here where you get all the games for cheap as, cheap as chips. It's really good. 
And then uh, once the, the final game finishes, which is about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, head back to bed for a couple of hours, and then I'm, uh, I'm right as rain after that. How's the fantasy team looking? Uh, not good, Robbie. I, uh, I'm not <laughs> at the moment. I only have I, – uh, I should have won this week, to be honest with you. I, I had Case Keenum uh, as my quarterback – Negative 0.5 he scored. And I had the Rams defense. They scored zero. A game I should have won for sure. Didn't end up happening. Fall to one and three. But the good news is I was one and three to start the year last year. Ended up coming back to win my fantasy league. So all's not dead yet. It's close, but it's not quite dead. Yeah, I never seem to do well in fantasy football. And every single year I try to get Brady and Edelman. But I was actually at a wedding this year. And for whatever reason, my league wouldn't. Moved the draft from a Sunday night on Labor Day weekend to Monday. So I missed the draft of no Patriots players. We're doing okay. I think we're 2-2. Two and two. I have to check how it ended last night. But as long as we're talking about the NFL, let's talk about the Patriots in a, a little bit. I was going to end the podcast, but as long as we're talking football. They're 4-0. Tough win on Sunday over the Bills. I think the team's going to repeat. I think the only real hurdle, in my opinion, will be the Chiefs. Now, I know your opinion may be a little suspect at 3 a.m. when you're watching. It might be a little groggy, but <laughs> what is the team looking like from your opinion? Do you think the Patriots will repeat? I don't know if I'm wrong, but are you a Patriots fan? Absolutely. Yep, yep. And I've been lucky enough to watch three of the four games so far. We can't really pick and choose which games we got over here, but I've watched every game so far except the Jets game. That was the only game that hasn't been on, so I've got a good look at them so far. You didn't miss much. <laughs> they've, been, they've been obviously fantastic so far this year, especially – Defensively, I'm sure everyone in Boston realizes that this is shaping up to be one of the best defensive teams of all time, really. Yes. They've only really given up one offensive touchdown so far this season, and it was to the Bills this weekend. They had gone three straight weeks without giving up an offensive touchdown. Their third down defense is fantastic. They're getting to the quarterback at an historic clip. The they're just playing like a team, and that's what you want to see from from this Patriots side. Obviously, we've still got Brady at, at QB, and our offense is going to look good as long as he's there and 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 you know staying healthy. And we've got the weapons around him as well. Like you look at oh, Sony Michelle's still struggling a little bit, but uh, James White coming out of the backfield there has been looking strong. Had a good game against the Bills after missing that game against the Jets. But then you've got Josh Gordon. Dorsett's really taken a step up in the last month or so. I really like his game so far. We could have had Antonio Brown as well, short-lived. But, you know, he looked good for the, <laughs> for the one quarter that he seemed to catch balls from Tom Brady. Yeah, you know, I don't want to get into a whole Antonio Brown rant because I did it for probably about 20 minutes with my guests last week. But as you said, the defense is really, really good. I think Ted Johnson, who used to play for the Patriots in 04, he's on 95, the sports in Boston. He said before the season that this team could be as good, if not better, than the defense in 04, which is really the best defense the Patriots have had here in the Brady-Belichick era. So it's the defense carrying the offense right now. And if Edelman gets a little bit healthier, it seems like Josh Gordon's going through some things as well. The league as a whole is just so bad that they only have a few real games during the season. It's going to be the same every year. They get to the... AFC Championship game, they're going to play the Chiefs, we'll see what happens. But to transition back to your SiriusXM radio experience, Chris, I am very interested in that. What was it like working at Mad Dog Radio? Did you meet Mad Dog? What were the, what were the people like over there? What were you doing? Everyone was great. I, I got to meet Mad Dog a few times. I only got to actually produce for him once, 
But that's kind of all I wanted. I wanted to be able to have that one show where I produced for him specifically to just say that I've produced a Mad Dog show. Right? I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I didn't really have yeah. history as a lot of New Yorkers did of, of growing up and listening to Mike and the Mad Dog. But I've seen the ESPN 30 for 30 when it came out and, and loved it and loved their story. So ever since I kind of watched that, I kind of thought, okay, this would be cool to, to be able to work with him one day and got a chance to do that. And it was fantastic. But most of my shifts, because I was kind of, that last guy in, you're getting the shit kicker shifts essentially, you know what I mean? So I'm getting the right. the, the night shifts, 11 p.m. till 3 a.m., the, the Saturday night shifts, the Sunday night shifts, but it was a lot of fun. Like got to talk a lot of NBA, got to give some some uh, you know really good Celtics takes that many people didn't agree with. I think I'm a bit too one-eyed to, to give really uh, objective uh, <laughs> Celtics. Um, you know, it was enjoyable to, to, you know, get on get on the radio as often as I could and, and uh, you know, get the voice out there. So that no, was it was a lot of fun. And speaking of the Celtics, we talked a lot in past talks about what a mess last season was. What do you think we can expect from the Celtics team this year? Obviously, they got Kemba, they got Enos Kanter in. If for nothing else, he's great on social media. <laughs> what, what do you think we can expect from this team compared to last season? Because although Al Horford is gone, it does seem like there is a little bit of a, we're going to have a different group. We're going to have a different mindset. We're not going to think about last year. I like the vibe that's going on with this team right now. Yeah, exactly. The chemistry is the biggest difference between this year and last year. Last year, we pretty much didn't have any chemistry. This year, we seem to have it in spades, especially with those three guys coming from Team USA uh, throughout the the summer. That's going to help them as well. But I, I like the group that they're bringing together. All the rookies, the, the four rookies that are coming in, to the team as well seem to absolutely love each other they're going to be a lot of fun to have on this team now this is one of the uh, the hot takes that, that i had on serious Robbie. you ready for this because this oh here here we go let me strap in i claimed this must have been right after uh free agency period i claimed that the celtics the 2019 2020 boston celtics will win a grand total of 55 games in this upcoming season a lot of people shut it down <laughs> <laughs> Probably rightly so, but as a you know, as a Celtics fan who has a lot of hope for the next year, who was as frustrated as anyone uh, as to what happened over the past twelve months, I'm ready and raring to go, and I want to see what this team's capable of. We won close to fifty-five games two years ago. Last year was an aberration. Uh, I think if Haywood can come back and reach his peak, what he was before the injury, that's going to be essentially another recruit on top of. Uh, Kemba, Kemba's going to be almost like a. He, obviously, he's not as good as Kyrie, but Kyrie's kind of addition by subtraction almost. We seem to play better without him. No one seemed to enjoy playing with him. I think his leadership and still his ability to hit the three ball and his handles aren't quite as good as Kyrie, but he's still got decent handles. So I kind of like his fit with this team. And you know, we. Uh, I'm a bit upset that. Aaron Baines isn't part of this squad anymore. Obviously, as an Australian, I want to see as many Australian Australians represent uh, the the Boston Green. But I like the, the the center rotation that we've got at the moment. Tice can hit the three ball. He seems to be working on that quite uh, quite well. Um, can is there if you want to get the offensive going. You know, if you want, if you want some rebounds or if you want to get a couple of dunks, some easy points. That's when you get him in. Right. Tice a bit more on the defensive end. Then Poirier, I think is how you pronounce it. Who I, we got to watch a couple of times at the World Cup. Uh, France played Australia, I think, twice. I can't remember, once or twice. And, um, you know, I got to see him quite a bit. He looked pretty good. He's going to be there for 
the defensive assignments. So it's going to be interesting to see how um, Brad Stevens handles the rotations. But this team's essentially like silly putty at the moment. It's going to be interesting to see how he kind of molds this team and how it's going to look. I want to see Stevens find a starting five that works for him and commit to that uh, as much as he can, obviously barring injuries. I want to see him stick to a, a starting five. Because uh, the more consistency that you get with that group playing with each other, the better. I don't think we really found that starting five that worked for us last season. So that's going to be the biggest difference for us, I think. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think, number one, Hayward is going to be huge. If Hayward doesn't get back to himself, I do think it's going to be hard for this team to get to an elite level just because at some point they're going to have to stop playing him. But I don't know if they will. So if he's not playing at that elite level, he's still going to take touches away from Tatum and Brown. I think that could create some problems. So... As you said, hopefully Hayward will be back. It does seem like he's feeling better. Even talking about it last season, it seemed like mentally he was never in it. He was still doing PT. He was never feeling 100%. So I'm hopeful for Hayward. I am hesitantly optimistic about it. I'm going to wait and see on that one. I do think the defense from the big, specifically no Baines and no Horford, will be interesting to see the impact of that because we all know Horford has such a huge effect on this team, even if it doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Do you think we're going to see that early? Do you think that will show in the playoffs at all? What do you think the effect of Noah Horford will be on this basketball team on both ends, really? Because he was really like a big point guard, a facilitator, and making it work on both sides. Yeah, well, first, obviously, the biggest thing that Horford gave us was the leadership. The leadership on the right. court and off the court, he was huge in that respect. But the way that he was able to shut down guys like Joel Embiid and obviously, to a lesser extent, once he got to the playoffs, uh, the Greek freak, being able to handle those guys, the biggest, toughest guys on the opposition, was what he was on the court for. Essentially, we didn't need him to score 10, 15, 20 points a game. We just needed him to kind of shut down uh, those MB types and find the open guy, essentially. He's one of the best passing big men in the league. So, of course, we're going to miss him. But hopefully, we can kind of find a little bit of that from all the uh, – all the centers that we're, we're bringing in. So I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm, I'm definitely excited for the season. And, you know, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic. Every, every The start of every year brings new hope, Robbie, and that's what I've got so far, obviously, with my 55 wins call. I, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but kind of not really at the same time. I, I wouldn't be surprised. If it- well, Chris, I think you're forgetting about one guy, the dancing bear. Oh, my boy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to, to giving up on him, to be honest. Oh, no, no, no. He's, he's a fan favorite. <laughs> you, know, you know who the new fan favorite is now? It's Taco Fall. It's my guy. Oh, absolutely, it's yes. It's the guy that I've been following in college for the last, I think, three years. I went back when he ended up signing uh, that deal with the Celtics. I went back to see when the first time that I had tweeted about him was, and I think it was two and a half years earlier. So I was on board the Taco Fall train for a long, long period of time, and I love that he's come to the Celtics. I don't know how successful he's going to be. He's still very raw. He's got a very high center of gravity. He seems to get pushed off the ball pretty easily, but he's going to be fun to watch, and he's the guy now. He's overtaken the dancing bear as the guy that everyone in TD Garden wants to see on the floor in crunch time when we're beating the opposition by 15, 20 points. He is the guy. For those who are unaware, Christopher Tyler, before I even met you, wrote a great piece, very creative, about 
the cult type of figure in Boston, and especially with the Celtics, and it's so true, and you had wrote about Yabu Selly, and you were spot on, although he didn't get much playing time, he was that sort of cult figure that you love just because of the personality and the dabs, the bow and arrow dab and all that. So if anyone wants a nice, interesting, creative piece, look up hashtag basketball, Christopher Tyler, and cult figure, because it was one of my favorites. But Chris, a couple more questions before I let you go. Moving forward to your career. So when do you start the job? You said it's in a month? I started in three weeks. So I'll be heading back to the States in, in two weeks, and then I'll be starting on the 21st of October, so not too long. And how did you like living in New York City? Didn't like it at all, to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, what was your experience? Had you been there before? Uh, well, I, 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 I've been there a couple of times before I officially moved over, um, and it was okay for those you know three- to four-week periods. But when you're living there day in, day out, and you kind of get no rest from it, it got a bit tough, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of a, a crap city, to be honest with you. And oh, it's brutal. Yeah. So when we head back, I'm still going to be working in the Manhattan office, but I'll be living in Jersey. Me and my girlfriend are looking at a place in Princeton, which is about an hour uh, train ride outside of Manhattan. So at least we get that that quietness, that uh, that beauty of the suburbs, the quietness of the suburbs. You don't have that polluted air where everything is is hustle and bustle and all that sort of stuff. I don't really like that style of, of living. I want a bit more space, a bit more bang for my buck. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to, to continuing my uh, my United States journey, but just in a, in a city that isn't New York. <laughs> what was your first reaction when you saw New York City for the first time? Because I live in Boston. Boston is very different from New York City. Boston is very much more laid back. When you're in New York City, it's constant anxiety, people yelling, people honking, people 24-7 on the subway. As you said, it, it smells bad. There's smoke. It's just a brutal city. What was your What was your first reaction to it when you first saw it? I think it was just uh, – I can't even remember. It was back in 20 – when did I first come? 2010. I think was the first time that I actually went to New York. I can't remember how I felt. I don't remember being particularly impressed or anything like that. I, I will say that a lot of people, when they, they first come to New York, they're either impressed or they're overawed or, or something like that. I can't really remember having any sort of visceral response to, to seeing New York. But you did mention Boston there. Obviously, I don't know if it's just because I'm a Celtics and Patriots fan, but <laughs> to Boston for the first time and every time I've been back since it legitimately feels like home to me I don't know if it has a similar vibe to Melbourne or what it is but that is easily my favorite place that I've been to in the states and I'm, I try to go back as much as I can uh, mainly during the season obviously mainly during the basketball season I've, I've gone a couple of times during the baseball season but I try to go throughout the basketball season and it's just, it, it is really my, my favorite place uh, in the entire country. So I'm looking forward to, to heading back and actually taking my girlfriend. She's never been before. So I want to I want to take her around and, and show her all the sites. I'm looking well, Chris, I think the reason why, and I think I speak from a very objective standards that Boston's the greatest city in the world. So I think that's why you like it so much. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board, man, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I know. To wrap up the podcast here, but to end quickly, I know from... People from the Boston area to go to New York, it's a little bit like San Diego to LA and just the laid backness of the city and then going to a, a much more overhyped, a lot more people, a lot more traffic. And so my brother lives in New York City. He grew up as I did in Boston. His girlfriend's living there. And I visited them a couple of summers ago. And 
this was my first experience in New York. I was waiting in line to get a subway ticket and there might have been a few people behind me and some 90-year-old lady with a cane starts heckling me, yelling at me, saying, come on, let's go. What are you doing? And that was really my first experience in New York City. I'm like, this place stinks. Yeah, no, nah, it, it, it's terrible, mate. I'm, I'm not a fan of it whatsoever. I'll work there as long as I'm in the office for 90% of the time that I'm there. But then I'm happy to head straight back on a, on a train and, and out, of the, uh, out of the state. All right. Well, Chris, on that note, thanks so much for joining me. Good luck in your job. It's awesome you got a podcast producing job at SiriusXM. I'm looking forward to hearing all about it, but thanks so much for coming to the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Robbie. And a good month ahead for the Patriots as well. Obviously, we're 4-0 at the moment. The next four are looking pretty easy as well. You've got the Skins, Giants, Jets, and Browns. Another 4-0. We're going to go 8-0. What do you reckon? Yeah, another 8-0. As I've been saying all year, the first real game of the season is in Week 9. So... It really is the preseason at this point. It's a joke of a league. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. There are three or four teams that are in it. But we'll see how it is against the Redskins. It's going to be another blowout. But anyway, Chris, thanks again. Make sure to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Tyler. Thanks again for hopping on the podcast this late at night while you're in Melbourne. And good luck to your next journey in Jersey and New York. Pleasure, Robbie. Thanks, mate. Chat soon. Thanks again so much to Christopher Tyler for joining the podcast. I've had him on a bunch of times, and I did podcasts with him at Hashtag Basketball, but it really is so fun to have him on. He's got a great personality. Every time I have him on the podcast, it's just a really fun time, and he's just a really genuinely good guy, as you can tell from the podcast. So I'm so happy that he got a job as a podcast producer at SiriusXM. I know he had to go to Australia, and he was sorting through all of that out, and it's very, very hard to get a full-time job, a 9-to-5 job in the industry. So credit to him. He's very skilled. He's done a lot of podcasts and radio work. And it really has paid off for him as he got a full-time podcast producing job at SiriusXM. So I wish Chris all the best and everyone should try to keep up with what he's doing on Twitter at Tyler. Now we mentioned briefly both the Celtics and the Patriots. And I'm going to touch on them for a few minutes before ending with the Red Sox here. Number one, the Patriots. As I said, gritty win for the Pats over the Bills, 16-10 on Sunday. The first real game of the season, but the game was never in doubt. It really wasn't. The Bills' defense is legit. It is really good, and they made it tough for Brady. But the quarterback play from Barkley and Allen for the Bills is brutal, and I'm not the first one to say this. They've been talking about it on Sports Talk Radio. Zolak was basically laughing on air during the game, but how bad Allen is, and it was ridiculous, just missing guys, not throwing easy throws, throwing balls up for grabs, which is so dumb against his great defensive backs for the Patriots in terms of just intercepting the ball, they're really good at it, they're leading the league with 10 interceptions, McCourty is 4, throwing the ball up to grabs, so just a good defensive effort by the Bills, a better defensive effort by the Patriots. The Bills have no offense. The Pats struggled offensively, but Edelman's banged up. Josh Gordon seems to be banged up. The O-line is banged up. So I think you have to look at it as a very positive sign for the Pats. They have the Redskins, as we said, this upcoming week. Another easy game. The first game will be Week 9, and from there they're going to get to the playoffs. And 16-0 is still on the table, so we'll see what happens. But to the Celtics, now... Kyrie and Durant, they've had their little media show, we've had media day with the Celtics, and as I said with Chris, I really do feel good about the team, I feel good about the mentality of the team, it feels more like the team that we had before Kyrie Irving than with him, and the difference between having these guys before Kyrie Irving and with him is that these guys are now talented players that have been in the league in a couple of years, so you have 
guys who are more experienced with a better overall mental mindset. And that's why I am excited for the season going forward. I think they're going to be a likable group. I think they're going to have good chemistry. But back to my point with Chris, I think Al Horford and Baines not being there is going to be tough for the defensive end, especially Horford. And I think Hayward is going to be the guy. Because if Hayward cannot be the same player, they're going to keep playing him because he's got a big contract and he has earned the minutes based on his career. But if he's playing and he's not the same guy and he has lost a step and he's taking touches away from Tatum and Brown and even Kemba, it's going to be the same issues they had last season because Brown and Tatum are going to want their touches. And that's not going to change. They're going to want to put up their stats. And if Hayward isn't producing like he didn't produce last year and he's taking away touches, that's going to be a problem. So I think that's going to be one thing to look for. But beyond that issue and beyond Horford being gone, I'm excited about the team. I'm excited about Kemba. I think he's a great leader. And I'm excited to see how this team meshes together with Brad Stevens having a year to reflect on what went wrong and make some adjustments because he's a very smart coach. He had a really bad season as a coach, but I have faith in him that they're going to figure it out chemistry-wise and have a better game plan going into the year of what they want to do, how they're going to utilize all these pieces. Now, ending with the Red Sox here, I'm going to talk to Steve Peralt next week. We're going to talk about the Red Sox in more depth, but I did want to give a little season recap of what went wrong with this team. The Sox finished at 84 and 78. And although the offense was still among the best in baseball, they finished fourth in the league in total run score. They finished third in average. The starting and relief pitching were inconsistent all season, if not garbage. And in short, they let the offense down. It's really that simple. First of all, the relief. Although Workman was great all year, the relief was brutal in the beginning of the year. Consistent throughout the whole season, they had 31 blown saves, which was tied for most in the league. And Dombrowski did them no favors by getting rid of Kelly and Kimbrell and not giving them any help. And I thought Brazier was sent down too early. I don't like how Cora managed the pen, but more than anything else, the guys did not get the job done, and that was the problem. But as bad as the bullpen was, and it was bad, as I said, with 31 blown saves tied for most of the league, the problem was the starting pitching. And you can try to blame things like they didn't go about it the right way in spring training. The guys weren't mentally prepared. They weren't physically prepared. They didn't have the guys ready to go. And that could be a fair criticism. However, at the end of the day, it's on the starting pitchers to get the job done. I don't care if you were delayed a little bit in spring training or you thought that was the right move or not. You could put a little bit of blame on that. But the blame goes on the players. And let's go one by one. David Price started off great to the year. He was an all-star caliber pitcher. But after the Price-Dennis Eckersley drama resurfaced again... He ended the season with a mediocre record of 7-5 with a 4.28 ERA. Brutal. Especially because how well he started the season to end with that type of record in ERA is not what you can expect after a great postseason performance from David Price. Next up, Chris Sale. Inconsistent at best all season. Couple of games he was great. He started off the season terribly. His velocity was inconsistent. And then, shocker, he got hurt again, which we can all see coming. The contract looks worse by the day. He ended the season 6-11 with a 4-4 ERA. From a guy who's supposed to be your stud, brutal. Andrew Kashner, midseason pickup, absolutely terrible as a starter. Cora eventually demoted him to a relief role, which he was a lot better, but brutal as a starting pitcher. And let's not forget about Pretty Ricky. Priscilla had the worst ERA in baseball with a 5.52 ERA. Terrible. <laughs> you can't make that up. Man, we need better than that, Rick. And it could be the last time we see Priscilla with the Red Sox, and I love his mentality. I love how he takes responsibility, as does Chris Sale. But Priscilla just didn't get the job done this year. The only starting pitcher who came ready to go was Eduardo Rodriguez, who was an astounding 19-6 with a 3.81 ERA. And 
that's the big takeaway for me is that Price is what he is. He's going to be a little inconsistent. You hope he shows up next postseason, assuming they get there. Chris Sale is injury prone. Cashner stinks. Porcello is good one year, bad the next. Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy with a lot of talent. And he was not great for the team last season. He struggled mentally. He didn't seem to have good mental toughness. In this year, he's 19-6 with a 3-8-1 ERA. So I'm thrilled about Erod. I'm nervous about all the other guys. The starting pitching and the bullpen is going to be a major concern going forward for this team. And when you talk about how the offense was let down by the pitching... This season, the starters ERA was 4.95, 20th in the league. Last year, they were 3.778th in the league. The team's relieving ERA was 4.40, 18th in the league this season. Last year, they were 9th, 3.72. Overall pitching, when you combine the two, last season, 3.75 ERA. This season, 4.70. Again, 8th in the league last year, 19th in the league this season. Even with a top-ranked offense in career years for Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, this team... With the same group as last season who won the World Series, minus Kimbrell and Kelly, which again, the Kimbrell loss was big big for the regular season, and Kelly was good in the postseason, but it's not like those guys were consistently good for the team. The team still couldn't make the playoffs. And I'll say it again, the starting pitching, the relief pitching, they let down the offense. And I'm going to end on this point, and I think it's very interesting to compare this team to teams in the past because this team was the fourth worst since 2002 for Red Sox team 84 and 78 they had 24 fewer wins than they had last season everything that went right for the team last year went wrong for the team this year they're not 108 win good they are not 84 win bad and the frustrating thing about this team the reason why it is so hard to stomach that they didn't make the playoffs is because the offense was so good and they were a mentally tough team. They did have that mentality of a championship winning team. They had a good culture. They cared about winning. They helped each other out. The offense simply stepped up and got them back in the game and the relief might blow it again. And when I look at an offense like that, who's mentally tough, who battles back, who's never out of a game. And when you get a team ending game 162 on a walk-off win, and they're putting Gatorade on guys, and they really care about winning, and you have a team that is so talented that won it all last year, and that the only reason you didn't make it wasn't sort of team chemistry issues, wasn't sort of guys didn't play as well as they could on the offensive side, it was the pitching, and that was about it. So it's a little easier to stomach when a team isn't good enough, or a team doesn't have the mental toughness, or a team didn't match like the 20... 18 Celtics. The reason why that team didn't make it made sense. The fact that this team didn't make it was just bad years from starters and relievers. And that's frustrating, but it's baseball. And that's why people love the sport of baseball because it's really hard to do things consistently in baseball. It's hard to have back-to-back good seasons. It's hard to play 162 consistent games. It's hard to hit consistently. It's hard to pitch consistently. You're not just waking up out of bed and making the AFC Championship game like you would with the NFL with the Patriots. And yes, the Patriots are really, really good, so they deserve a lot of credit. But in the NFL, there are about five or six good teams, maybe, you play 16 games. You're playing 162 games season in MLB. There's a lot more variability in talent, and you have to show up and do it consistently and be productive. And the pitchers weren't, and they let the offense down, and it's unfortunate. But 
going forward here. There's no Dave Dombrowski. They have to rebuild the farm system. Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez might be gone. It seems like Mookie's gone based on everything we hear on Twitter and see in the vibe of everything. But I hope they can keep these guys. I think you need to look at Eduardo Rodriguez, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts as young core guys who had breakout seasons that you hope they can keep it going. You try to keep other guys. You try to bring other guys in, such as starters and relief, and you see how what happens. But they need to revamp the farm system. When Dabrowski comes in, teams might win, but the farm system is depleted. And Dabrowski did exactly what he said he was going to do. He got the team a World Series victory. Now they're in a different state. Get rid of Dabrowski. Bring a guy in who can retool the farm and see what this team can do next year. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.